much has streaming changed the game for public service media? Video on demand has been around for barely longer than a decade, and yet it's now impossible to imagine public broadcasting without it, let alone the wider media landscape. Its impact has been huge. I remember pretty well the very first day when the service was live. I was standing in the front of the press conference and talking about streaming media revolution, how it changes everything in the broadcasting industry. In this episode, I'm looking at public broadcasting in a streaming world. How has public service media changed in a changing market to remain competitive, relevant and valued by their audience? What public service media, in my view, should emphasize in marking their distinction is the fact that like, they invest in local content and they tell stories that resonate with local and national communities. And how has the rise of those global streamers affected national public media? It is difficult for a single public broadcaster to compete in terms of the quantity and quality of contents. I'm Harry Locke, and from the Public Media Alliance, this is Media Uncovered. Right, yes, my name is Jari Lahti, and uh, my job position is a Head of Innovations at YLE, responsible for the innovations and the innovation capabilities of the company. Yari, I think you were involved with YLE Arena, the streaming service, from very early on, from the first days. Are you able to sort of take me back and maybe just walk me through? I mean, what was that like? developing a, a streaming service and what was your role within that? Well, it was very interesting. I was actually a head of a digital development, a kind of a chief digital officer on those days and responsible for the Wiley Arena development from the starting point, actually, on those days, 16 and a half years ago, almost 17 years ago. And I mean, what was that like? Did, did, did you know it was going to be a, a, a project that was going to revolutionize public broadcasting? Yes, uh, it was like, uh, well, like a startup feeling on those days. And uh, I remember pretty well the uh, very first day when the service was live. I was standing in the front of uh, media in the press conference and, 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 uh, and talking about streaming media revolution how it changes everything in the broadcasting industry. It was kind of a phenomenon of the day, the days that uh, the service collapsed and went down and was down about two weeks, and I was the one to tell what is going on there. So it was quite a complicated service, complicated technical integrations to the broadcasting company systems, that was not built uh, for the uh, streaming media. It, all the technical environment was uh, built for the broadcasting environment. And it was quite a, let's say, hard task to get the uh, content rights from the copyright holders and so on and so on. So it was like a startup time and, and, and a building the service and the uh, customer relationship in small batches. Was there always a public service argument to be had? Were, were, was there always a buy-in from senior management, senior executives that, that this was the right thing to do to fulfil your purpose as a public service broadcaster? Well, yes, there was. Till 2060, uh, let's say the strategic thinking was so that uh, the broadcasting is the most cost-efficient way to distribute the content 
to the mass audiences. So it was the same amount of money needed, uh, whatever the customer base was in broadcasting site. It was there one person or a million, million persons. So that was very cost efficient way to distribute the content. But then we understood that the broadband networks are coming and the capacity of the network for simultaneous use of video content, for instance, is getting better. And also the cost per user is getting lower. So we thought that that there's opportunities there. And of course, we understood that there's the whole opportunity of on-demand content as a customer experience there. So that's why we saw that it's promising to go to the broadband. And and this uh, technical and strategic understanding was understanding of the top management, but they didn't know what to do with this understanding so then we decided to start a project and i was in the project and the result of that project was that yes we are going to start a new new service but of course it was quite heavy process to start the service and then start the development of the service in this kind of complicated environment which was built for the broadcasting purposes yeah and i suppose you know, since since that launch date and, and to what Arena has become now, you must have witnessed a huge amount of change and not only the change in terms of what the infrastructure and the improvements to the technical infrastructure there have been, but in terms of user experience and, and just the the software upgrades as well. I mean, are you able to sort of talk me through some of the biggest changes you've seen over the past decade or, or more, more than a decade? Yeah, and I think the number one thing, it's always the content, whatever the technical environment and whatever the customer experience. Most crucial thing is always the content. People are coming to the service because of the content. And if the content is good, the customer experience can be bad, but they still use the content. I think so. And of course, the amount of content is the biggest change after all these of these years because the business model 16 years ago was a seven-day catch-up strongly connected to the broadcasting so uh, people could watch their favorite programs seven days after the broadcasting in this service and and we had a lot of problems with the music rights we had to cut the content because uh, there were limitation how many minutes we could have a music in our programs and so on and so on. So nowadays everything is at Wiley Arena and Wiley Arena is much more independent as a service. Of course, there's still kind of multimedia connections with the broadcasting, but it, it is very, very, let's say, individual service right now. And there's the opportunity for pinch viewing nowadays and actually has been there uh, about 10 years, which means that people can watch all the episodes in the same day or whenever they want to. And, and that's big change if we compare the situation to the seven-day catch-up connected to the broadcasting. So so in content side, it, there, there's, there's a big change happened. And, and then in, uh, in the customer experience side, I think the biggest change is the personal service idea the idea of the personal experience recommendation list and lists and engine behind that and uh, the customer recognition and then the personalization and all the recommendations and notifications and, and and so on and so on 
Streaming platforms have changed beyond almost all recognition since they were first launched in the noughties. Not just in the type of content they offer, but also the way they're offering it. And that change has not been driven by just public broadcasters. As Yari says, streaming platforms in those early days were designed with a broadcast-first perspective. Programs were only uploaded online once they'd been broadcast on linear channels, and then only available for a week after. That's a million miles away from what happens now, where entire series are uploaded in one batch, viewers binge all episodes in one sitting. So who else is responsible for this move towards non-linear viewing? Netflix and the other big players have been a driving force in this shift. Dr. Alessandro Dharma is a reader at the University of Westminster School of Media and Communication and has researched the impact that SVODs, subscription video on demand platforms, have had on the media market and audiences. Uh, but certainly at the level of consumption, there is a clear shift, a gradual but clear shift towards non linear consumption. It's happening faster in, uh, in the Nordic countries, in, in, the, in the United States of America, um, and perhaps less so in, uh, within you know, advanced media markets, but uh, less so in, uh, say, Southern Europe or Eastern European countries where a mix of factors having to do with internet penetration, the social demographic mix of population, uh, means that like, you know, more traditional forms of viewing, linear television, traditional television channels are still you know, the prevalent um, forms of consuming television content. But what about their impact on public media? Perhaps it's not been as direct as the impact felt by, say, pay TV companies, because public service media do not rely on subscription as a source of income, as a source of revenue. Having said that, they compete for audience, for audience attention. Their legitimacy ultimately depends on reach and therefore Netflix and the other streaming companies are competing with public service medias on this level. And then, you know, there is also competition for content, uh, for acquiring rights, for um, on and off screen talent. Another much talked about the effect of the entrance of Netflix and other streaming companies is you know, inflation in the cost of drama and other, the, you know, the cost of producing content. So at all these levels, public service media, even though if they don't directly compete for revenues with the SVOD, they are you know, very much affected by the rise of Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus and the likes. But that's not to say that the arrival of streamers has been purely negative. There are, of course, many benefits which they've provided for audiences, high-quality content, access to TV programmes from around the world, flexibility to watch shows anytime, anywhere, and importantly for public broadcasters, useful partners on certain programmes. They've also demonstrated high levels of innovation when it comes to user experience. Some of the, you know, the public service broadcasting companies, BBC, Wiley in Finland, were pioneers, Channel 4 as well, in, uh, in launching streaming services. Having said that, then, then they very much followed you know, Netflix and the other in terms of designing the interfaces, adopting personalization strategies. There are clearly consumer benefits from the rise of uh, uh, video on demand companies in terms of choice, in terms of production standards in, uh, in TV drama. And I think, you know, indirectly, I guess it might be argued that like public service media have had to, you know, up their game uh, in terms of production standards. 
so i think yes there are like you know positives and you know obvi another obvious benefit is that netflix and the other streaming companies are themselves partners you know uh, of public service media they collaborate for public service media have entered co-production agreements with Netflix, Amazon, and, and you know this has allowed them to raise funding for their programs. So there are benefits. There are also, I think, challenges and risks. And uh, and I think above all, there are also ways in which public service media can differentiate their offering from Netflix, and they should really emphasize the way in which they are different. But is that framing fair? That public broadcasters originally led the streaming pack. But fast forward a few years, and they're now on catch-up. Yari Lati from YLE. Well, not exactly. Uh, and I, I think the uh, correct answer is, is yes and no. I think the, the big players are driving the big budgets, especially in, in, in drama productions. And, and, and of course, uh, the big budgets means uh, better value, especially in, in entertainment and, uh, and, and drama for, for users. What comes to the innovation, for example, if we look at the personal customer experience as an example and how the recommendation engines are working, I don't think so. They are working so well, for example, in Netflix or, or, or Disney or, or HBO and others. I think we are quite in the same position. The, the, the complexity is the same for everybody and uh, for example, the pinch viewing and the, the personalization and the recommendations, those were the sales arguments, at least in Finland, when Netflix came to the market. And, and, and actually, we were doing the same thing in Finland at the same time. Streaming services are, as we've examined, posing a challenge to public broadcasters. This is a challenge which extends beyond just the streamers. Other players in this competition are digital audiovisual platforms like YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, or even gaming platforms such as Fortnite. It's essentially a competition for attention. So how does public service media earn that attention? How does it continue to provide top quality local content which keeps audiences engaged while working on a shoestring budget compared with the global streamers? If you're a small public service broadcaster, the reality is that you won't be able to compete with Netflix and Amazon Prime Video on the same, uh, you know, playing the same game. So I think, you know, the, what public service media, in my view, should emphasize both in terms of their the rhetorical level in their dealings with governments and, and so on is the, in, in marking their distinction is the fact that like they invest in local content and they tell stories that resonate with local and national communities. It doesn't have to be big budget content, probably cannot be because of the size, because of the reality that like most public service media organizations around the world are facing budget cuts and you know as you said in, in a context where cost inflating. But I think, you know, there, can, there is still value, very much public service value in telling stories that resonate with local, uh, with local audiences. Uh, the most localized of all streaming services, Netflix, still, you know, the vast majority of its content originates from the US. And even in countries where Netflix has invested significantly, titles commissioned nationally, locally, represent a tiny minority of, the, of their overall output. So I think there is room there for public service media to be different and emphasize their difference. So, sorry, just in terms of examples, what, what, what are those markets where Netflix has invested significantly? 
Well, the UK was one of them, and countries like Japan, Korea, South Korea, you know, the biggest, the big, you know, continental European markets. Uh, but even in these countries, uh, I was looking at data uh, the other day. So, for instance, in Italy, I think the number of national titles commissioned by Netflix is around 20. In the, in the, in the library, these are titles where Netflix has put money into it. It's a small amount compared to, you know, the, the level of investment, both in terms of number of titles and value, overall value that like public service organization invest in, dom- in, in domestic content. That's exactly the point of a national broadcaster, to provide local content relevant to your national audience. But there is a role for regulators here as well, to ensure audiences can easily access public broadcasting content. As TV viewing becomes ever more digital rather than linear, access and prominence, the priority by which media brands are placed where, is an emerging battleground. In Germany, new regulations have just been passed in this space, which will see manufacturers of smart devices prominently display different media organisations based on their public service ranking. It all comes from changes to the Interstate Treaty on Broadcasting and Telemedia. So what do these changes mean in practice? Okay, my name is uh, Wolfgang Kreisig. Um, I'm the president of the media authority in Baden-Württemberg in Germany and at the same time the spokesman of um, all the media authorities in Germany which are federal. The treaty is in particular meant to ensure media diversity and diversity of public opinion but considering the converged media reality this is not enough. That's why in the last years the interstate treaty focused more and more on the regulation of players like media intermediaries media platforms and the manufacturers of user interfaces. And in this context, new rules for the transparency of search algorithms and the rules for the non-discriminatory presentation of media content on platforms and social media were established as well as improved means of combating disinformation on the web. And not least, the privileged discoverability and findability of media offerings that make a special contribution to public opinion making was introduced in the German treaty. C- can you explain that that final point there? So a, a was, is, it, is it sort of a, a priority ranking or a, a an assessment of each broadcaster or, or content provider's public value? And, and how has that worked out? First of all, all the public services uh, broadcasting uh, content is public value by law. And so we as uh, media authorities have the task to choose from the private sector uh, those contents or those programs uh, or channels which are public value. And that's what we did. And we found a lot of public value content. And now we fabricated a list uh, which shows a certain uh, ranking. And in the end, the ranking considers issues like relevance based on usage numbers and certain categorizations like news channels, programs for kids, or local TV channels. And I think you mentioned, or you used the phrase, user interfaces. Are we talking about smart TVs there, essentially, or or, uh, computers, that sort of thing? Yeah, smart TVs, that's right. But also maybe like interfaces you will find in automobiles or smart speakers. They have a user interface as well. And so this is a kind of user interfaces that, that are regulated right now. So what is this law actually going to change for those manufacturers, the manufacturers of the smart TVs, of the um, in-car or, or smart speakers? What, 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 
what what do they now have to do as a result? Smart TV manufacturers have to make sure that user interfaces can display the public value offerings in a way that they can easily and prominently be found. So each provider of user interfaces can choose a solution which is best suited to the company's specific look and feel and business model. The privileged discoverability of public value offerings is currently in this implementation. So at the moment, we are close exchange with the providers of user interfaces and their associations to ensure a practical implementation. And we have also an implementation period of six months. So we expect the first results in spring of this year. Then we will have the first results, how it actually looks like. What does this mean then for, for both public and private German broadcasters? I mean, how, how big was the issue of discoverability beforehand? How much are they looking forward to this change or, or how much do you think it will change that their audience figures or, being people, or audiences being able to access their content? Yeah, well, I mean, it's something like trial and error right now. We will have to get our first experiences how this uh, regulation works. In fact, we have a lot of content, we have a lot of competition. And of course, uh, we need, uh, or the broadcasters need the attention of the, the users. And so this is one way to lead the intention to public value content. And for the private side, of course, it's especially important to get their um, advertising revenue high. And so this is the idea behind it, to boost the refinancing of those public value contents. And uh, well, it's trial and error. We'll see if it really has an impact and it works. Germany's regulator is breaking new ground with this sort of regulation and demonstrating how legislators can intervene to ensure fair competition. But broadcasters are also having to take matters into their own hands. Let's look at another country where the domestic market has had to respond to an intrusion. In South Korea, the market share of Netflix and Disney Plus is also increasing. These two giant media companies in the United States are increasing their market share in streaming service while spending huge production costs and increasing the proportion of original content in South Korea. Sunwook Choi is the chief strategy officer for the Korean broadcasting system, KBS. South Korea is no stranger to big-budget Netflix series. Squid Game, a South Korean drama series released on Netflix in 2021, is the platform's most-watched show ever. The same year, Netflix announced it was spending $500 million in the South Korean market. So how are the country's public broadcasters expected to compete? Well, for over a decade, KBS has been at the forefront of an effort to keep Korean broadcasters competitive and relevant. Their strategy? Collaboration. In 2012, they partnered up with two other domestic broadcasters, NBC and SBS, to launch Pook, a Korean-owned and run streaming service. Then in 2019, Wave was launched, which integrated both Pook and another streaming service called Oksusu, which was run by SK Telecom. The Wave service can be used on mobile, PC and television. It provides about 100 real-time uh, streaming channels, and since 2020, it has directly produced and provided Wave original content in the entertainment genres or within 10 series every year. What was it that led to its creation in the first place? Wave is, a simple terms, a streaming service operated by a Korean broadcaster and telecommunication company. Pook 
a streaming service operated by uh, three uh, broadcasters was established to keep Korean telcos in check, who was expanding paid uh, broadcasting service uh, through uh, IPTV. However, when uh, Netflix came to Korea in 2016, uh, the competitive environment had changed. In case the, uh, of a streaming service, it was expected that large U.S. tech company would increase their media market share in South Korea because they do not they do not require license from regulated body and they had many content and big money. So the need to increase the scale of the streaming service that uh, broadcasters uh, operated together increased and to this end it was integrated with the streaming service of uh, SK Telecom. So we are small company compared with the, uh, the US big tech company. That is the motivation to integrate the two streaming service. You, you mentioned it already, but I'm interested to, to get a sense of how big the US streaming giants, Netflix, Prime, I mean, Disney Plus even, how big they are in South Korea and how important it is that going forwards, public broadcasting has its own service to compete with them? First of all, uh, how big? American streaming companies do not uh, accurately disclose their subscriber and revenue in South Korea. However, we indirectly estimate, based on the data uh, from media statistics companies, according to the market share of Korean SVOD streaming service surveyed by the uh, Fair Trade uh, Commissions as Netflix had uh, 38.2%, Disney Plus 5.6%, accounting for half of the entire streaming market in Korea. Weibo, 14.4%. However, in October of last year, as a tipping and season integrated their service and uh, increased their market share, Wave's competitions in the future became more difficult. So KBS and broadcasters are expected to face more difficult situation in competition with global streaming companies or with a huge capital and many contents. So if it is not a public broadcast with a large content supply, it is difficult for a single public broadcaster to compete with difficult streaming service in terms of the quantity and quality of contents. So we have to make a um, direction to how to we cooperate with uh, um, the other organizations, other service. That is our the consideration now. So how successful has it been? Uh, are you Are you happy with where it's at in terms of audience and, and the money that it's bringing in and the content that you're able to put out? Hmm. How successful? <laughs> Compared to Pook before 2019, it can be seen as a significant achievement in the, uh, the number of subscribers has grown more than five times through cooperation with the telecommunication company. However, the market share of Wave was down as the private broadcasters in 
Korea uh, joined the the competition for streaming services. It is time to focus more on the challenge ahead than on e- evaluation our uh, current success because we have a more challenge now. So in South Korea, it's not just the looming shadow of the US giants which KBS has to contend with, but the rival streaming services being established by other domestic media organisations as well. Collaboration seems the best option to remain relevant, and we can see these efforts to collaborate elsewhere as well. There's the Memorandum of Understanding signed between ABC Australia and CBC Radio Canada to partner on certain programmes. There's the English-language adaptation of the German novel The Swarm, which was co-produced by multiple European public broadcasters. And there's the agreement between Germany's two public TV broadcasters, ARD and ZDF, to host and share each other's content across both their streaming libraries. There are many ways in which public service media organisations are innovatively collaborating to provide their audiences with gripping, top-quality drama. These collaborations aren't always successful. In February, two commercial French broadcasters and the public broadcaster France Television announced the closure of their joint streaming platform Salto. But despite this, there is still a desperate need to think differently about where public broadcasting can mark its difference, demonstrate its value and serve its public. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Media Uncovered and thanks to my guests Yari Lati, Alessandro Dama, Wolfgang Kreisich and Sunbuk Choi. As ever, thanks to Rachel Still, Lucas Thompson and Tom Brazier for the music. Please do rate and subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends and colleagues. If you want to find out more about the Public Media Alliance, you can head to our website publicmediaalliance.org or follow us on Twitter at Public Media PMA or Facebook and LinkedIn at Public Media Alliance. If you want to get a weekly dose of global public media news delivered to your inbox, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. The link is in the episode description. I'll be back with a new episode next month. Thanks for listening.